Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. I'm glad to have you at Hillcrest this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Christian Lindbeck. Uh, I'm the lead on an outstanding staff of pastors. And so it's uh, our real pleasure to have you, especially if you're just kind of finding your way this morning. Lots of people looking for a new church over the summer. If you walked in here and thought, okay, the seating's weird. Hey, this is just a summer experiment too. Uh, we're doing what we call church in the round so that we get a chance to see each other. So relax and enjoy it. And then in the fall, we'll put things all back together as well. Uh, we're in the middle of a really great series that we have called Outside Each week, uh, exploring, unpacking, discovering more about our Creator through the creation. We thought it matched summer perfectly, an encouragement that matched the culture of our community that said, hey, go outside. We wanted to missionalize kind of what you're already doing. This is not a community that we have to encourage to go outside. Uh, they're, They're there. But when you're out there to make it a mission to pay attention to what's going on outside and to use all of those opportunities uh, to know more about who the creator is and more about who you are and about the people uh, that you relate with. And we have found it just to be a lot of fun so far. Again, we're kind of sharing a bunch of pictures. You can, if you put a picture up on social media, you can put Hillcrest outside on that and uh, we'll follow up with you. And then if you didn't get one, I don't think there's one out this Sunday, but you can pick up kind of a guide to the verbs that we've been giving each week as an opportunity to think, hey, I want to try this with my family or friends or try it on my own to begin to continue to explore uh, the outside. So we have done uh, listen, we've done walk, we've done climb. Uh, this morning we do taste. The verb is taste outside. Yes, that is as challenging to think about as you think at first. Uh, you know, what does it mean to explore the way God made us to understand his creation through taste. Now, that means today that I get to talk about two of my favorite topics, God and food. Uh, If you know me at all, these literally are. Like if I had to make a top three, okay, Jen would be in there. Uh, That's my wife. Uh, But uh, like topically speaking, these are two things that I can get really excited about. Uh, Who God is and a really good meal. And I'll suggest to you more than a couple of times today Uh, that those two things are closer than you might think right away. I think that a really great meal surrounded by people that you love is what the Celts called a thin place. Is that familiar to you? Uh, Where like the pleasantries, the mysteries of heaven and earth touch with just a little bit in between. A great meal with good people taking the right wheel feels like a thin place to me like a foretaste of heaven. Uh, When I think about what heaven is going to look like, it looks like a really good meal uh, centered on Jesus with people that I love. And so if you take anything from this morning, think I could take a meal and make my meal a foretaste of heaven. And so I think that food has a lot to go for it. Now, I'll be honest with you that more than a few people have accused me once or twice of making too much of food and probably taking too much food myself. Uh, uh, But um, I want to suggest to you, but I get how that could be. We live in a world that's kind of worships food. Have you noticed that? Like the excesses, how many cooking channels are there now? 
Uh, we get it, right? Uh, you can make food great. Uh, and we have problems with excess of food, especially in our culture. So we can see how it can become kind of a worship problem. And maybe on the other end of the spectrum in this culture is the food as fuel people, right? Uh, if you're one of those people today, I'll be gentle, but you and I are going to be in disagreement, right? Uh, you've got the kind of excess, food is everything, it's our mission, and food is fuel. Now, I will agree, food cannot like bear the purpose of our life, despite what the cooking channel might be telling you, right? Uh, but it's certainly more than fuel, uh, and I would argue that emphatically with those who'd say it's just fuel. Uh, it is fuel, but it seems to me, this is where I must draw a line, uh, that it is emphatically more than just fuel. I want to say to you this morning, I think of food and a shared meal um, much more akin to like stations of prayer, as though God has woven into our existence this intentional pleasure. Uh, for everybody, like food doesn't have to be expensive or cheap, right? You, street tacos, one of my favorite things to eat, a uh, worshipful experience for me personally, uh, and universally accessible, that he has programmed into life and our days, at least for, for anybody, three times a day, an opportunity to be grateful and to take pleasure and to thank him and to celebrate who God is. And as we have uh, many times throughout this series, as soon as I say that, as I think that, look, he built pleasure in food and a shared meal right into our lives. We've asked you over and over throughout this series to stop and consider something that you're doing automatically, taking a meal, eating food, and think about what the creator, what the maker was thinking when he did it. Uh, to consider his intentional thought. And we've said that each way, looking at creation or the pace of walking or did he, did Jesus choose mountains because they were the ideal learning environment? There's a great intentionality in the ways of our creator. Now consider that when you consider a meal. Consider what he could have done. I mean, consider what separates us from almost everything else. We do not live on carrion and worms. Who's glad? Or one kind of seed or leaf. That's the thing we eat. That leaf. Day after day after day after day. Uh, he could have made it so that kind of like plants, we just draw nutrients out of the air. And use the sun to convert it into energy, right? Uh, that would have been boring. What if he had made water the universal source of food? For the food as fuel people would be happy, I would be sad. Right? Like, all you have to do is just drink water three times a day. Um, cons- I, you know, that isn't actually a foolish consideration because it's a design issue. Consider that instead of doing that, he thought of pasta. Oh man, you guys, I know this is the city of subdued excitement, but pasta's good. Like bread. Could, who else in here could just eat like a loaf, like a baguette with butter? You can raise your hand. There's no shame, right? I try to go on those diets where you don't eat bread, but I literally have dreams of eating bread. I was like, just, can I just smell the loaf of bread? Can I lick the crumbs off the top? Does that count? Uh, and so he designed us to enjoy ice cream. I was thinking of the like, fresh cracked pepper and garlic and basil and tomatoes and vinegar and fresh cheese and maybe how those four things go together. Did God delight in that? I think so. I think he did. It's like, wait till you try this. You know, and I, again, we make God so serious all the time 
And I talked about this and listen, he, he wants us to play with that and figure it out. And what should come out of our mouths other than yes, right? Maybe is God is so good, so creative, so delightful, like we talked about and listen. And more than just he's good, look how he has woven simple pleasure into every human life. This is why it's a tragedy, by the way, to take a meal from somebody. No matter who you are, where you live, what you enjoy, three times a day has the Lord woven worship and pleasure into your life. He has said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, surely he means greater spiritual ideas than that, but the gateway is a meal. How will I understand, Lord, what you mean by the greater spiritual food and drink that you give us? And he says, by understanding the food and drink that I give you, that it is good. I have made it good for you and pleasurable unto you. I got to tell you, I feel like there's some Christians who think God can't have designed pleasure. (laughs) Like, try some stuff is what I want to say, you know. Excess could be a problem, but he made this intentionally pleasurable. Like I said, stations of prayer, sacred stations three times a day. You know, we pray over our meals so that we wouldn't just be like, thank you that I get this gruel, Lord, and eat it. But yeah, that you would enjoy the eating, the pleasure, the thought, the consideration that you would make that act an act of worship. That you would consider what it is. I think that we kind of bowl unwittingly through life, but I said, God gave you two hands, two eyes. And two ears, and 10,000 taste buds uh, that you might celebrate who he is and understand something. I, again, I, I, I want to say so many times, uh, a food or a meal, a taste as foretaste. Can you make that? Taste as foretaste of heaven. And to be able to associate how good the spiritual gifts are by how good the physical gifts are that he gave us. All of it is a foretaste of who he is and the good things that he gives us. Um, but my topic today, like I said, is much larger than just food. It is a shared meal that we taste and see. I think that a shared meal is where food meets its missional purpose. You guys with me so far? Yeah, because I love that the Lord has commended the pageantry of food for us. Um, from the biblical standpoint, you could go, you could land on Psalm 136. It says, the Lord who has supplied food for every creature. But I'm a big fan of Psalm 104, which says uh, he makes, he's the maker of wine that glads the heart and bread that sustains it. It turns into a prayer that says, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for it is you that gives us food to not just sustain our lives, but to make our hearts full and to make us glad. And so that in a shared meal, I think food takes on its most missional purpose. That it goes from just your individual enjoying it to worship, corporate worship, profound fellowship. I think of the fellowship of meal, and a meal is a place, and I think this mirrors Jesus where, and these two words, the first one's complicated, givenness and grace are extended. Givenness, like Jesus, like his life is marked by givenness, right? I give my life to you. And a meal is an act of givenness or serving as an act of givenness or a meal or the table as a place where grace is extended. Um, last week, Tim, you're sitting in the wrong spot, Tim. That's your spot over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
uh, last week, Tim talked about the theme of mountains. He picked up the thread of mountains in the Bible, right? And we got to the point where he said everywhere, mountains, mountains, mountains. Once you see the theme, you see mountains everywhere. And we live in the land of mountains. And Tim is the guy to talk to us about mountains. Uh, Well, the same could be said for food and meals. Once you see that thread in the Bible, you will see it everywhere. And I'm the guy to talk to us about meals. Once you notice it, you will see it everywhere. And I want you to underscore this one. From the first biblical accounts to the wedding supper of the Lamb recorded in Revelation 19, where John glimpses the end, a foretaste of the final meal, this great meal that will come at the end, and all in between, you will see we are being invited to the feast table of the Lord with him and with each other to the great meal, a recurring meal, a foretaste of heaven, that when it reaches the end, this is the great meal. And all of this is why he said it as a meal today. All of these, you know, on these Sundays in the round, we've had communion in the middle. And now I've tried to surround the communion in the middle with a shared meal to show that's precisely what this is, right? Come to the feasting table of the Lord and share a meal with me. Worship, communal worship. Profound fellowship, givenness extended to each other, and grace extended to one another. Like I said, once you see it, you'll see it everywhere. And I kind of like Tim, probably when you pulled out mountains, you're like, which of the 500 references do I take? You know, mountains, 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 mountains. Uh, But consider that Adam and Eve, their pivotal choices of the relationship with God spun around what? What to eat. (laughs) Uh, When they fell, God repaired that covenant by sharing a meal, making an animal, creating skins. Uh, out of them to dress them. Noah celebrated the release from the ark with a shared meal with God. Abraham shared meals with angels and some say the pre-incarnate Christ. Moses establishes the bedrock understanding of the entire faith of Israel while they're getting ready to leave Egypt in what? Say it. A shared meal. The theology of the kingdom established in a shared meal, right? What I want you to understand what's going to happen by us sharing this meal together. God's givenness and grace extended in a meal that we might do the same. And you have to admit, I mean, sort of indisputably, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system is about great gathered shared somebody meals yes thank you mountains was it hard with mountains (laughs) shared great gathering of shared look at all the best moments have a what a great meal when you read there they'll go oh what did what were they having fun doing they would get to great moments where they would like figure it out and get close to god and what would they do throw a meal What were all the great festivals? They were great meals together. Some of my favorite moments in the entire Old Testament are the wonderful meals. And notice how it says, and their hearts were full, and they were glad, and they went and shared food with their neighbors, and they were grateful for who God was and what he had done, and all he had done through David, and what he had done for the kingdom, all of it around a meal. Uh, If you read about Solomon dedicating the temple, and I'll come back around to that, it is followed by a tremendous meal. When Josiah reestablishes Passover, a tremendous meal. When Hezekiah reestablishes 
Passover again. They have such a huge party. It's one of my favorite passages. And this is how you know people know to party, how to party, especially the, like Jews. If you've come to Israel with us, they love a good party. Uh, but listen to this. It says, I love it when they're having such a good time feasting together with the Lord that they just decide to not stop. It says, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with instruments dedicated to the Lord. And Hezekiah, the king, spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For seven days they ate and offered fellowship offering and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Then the whole assembly gathered and agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided thousands of bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats unto the whole assembly. They had a meal. Um, have you ever read the account of Solomon dedicating the temple? And it says, he killed 60,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats for sacrifice. I've had students ask me, isn't that a tremendous waste? I mean, why would God want that many animals sacrificed? Well, let me help. He loves a shared meal. What you ought to read there is gigantic barbecue. Those were fellowship offerings. He first sanctified both the temple grounds and the offering, and then they shared a gigantic meal. Solomon threw a great big barbecue, and the people celebrated a meal that revealed something about what was to come. All of these shared occasions. Think about what all of our great occasions get a meal. If you have a baby, what do we do? We, we bring food to your house. Somebody graduates from college, food, right? You achieve anything, food. It's your birthday, happy birthday, eat lots of food. Like Knit into us is this idea. These, our greatest memories are these shared communal meals as a foretaste of the kind of communal worship and pleasure and togetherness and fellowship. I, what, before I wrote fellowship, I thought, oh, do you want to use that heavily Christian word, fellowship? Uh, and then I thought, there's no better word, fellowship, fellowed together like that unity of a body knit together. And I, this, I, I, have, I am hard-pressed to find what exceeds worship and shared meal in creating fellowship between people. It's designed into us. Um, I wish I could tell you more, but it just goes on and on. Uh, again, frequently, if the Old Testament wants to say, or the Bible wants to say, God is good, or we believe something good is coming, it points to food. Um, Tim and I have been studying Isaiah heavily, and that's we've been using a lot of those passages together. But Isaiah 25, 6 says... When the Lord makes things right, all, then the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the marrow of the bone, and the finest wine, foretaste. Uh, again, it, with Jesus was the master of the shared meal. Wait till you start looking at it that way. Uh, always he was bringing it around to a shared meal. What frustrated people is he was always inviting the least expected to his shared meal. He used to like to say with his parables, I was going to invite you people. Instead, I invited the rabble, right? 
the very least you'd expect. People would say, oh, you don't fast enough, you don't eat enough, now you're eating with the wrong people. Uh, he was always combining meals into his lessons. His first public miracle was where? A wedding feast. He fixed the feast. Meal. His most abundant miracles, feeding four and 5,000 people. Meal as foretaste, testimony to his power. He's most famous, like I said, for dining with the tax collector, prostitutes, and outsiders. His meals were missional. He commissioned his disciples at a last what? Meal. Um, N.T. Wright, I love, uh, he said it this way. He said, when Jesus wanted to teach his disciples the most fundamental thing about who he was and how things were going to go and how his resurrection was going to work out, he didn't give them a sermon. He fed them a meal. <sighs> because he knew it would teach, it would be a fort. We are still commanded to share a meal together, right? To share communion as a foretaste and understanding of who God is and what he is doing. Um, Again, I could go on and on, but I think one of my favorite meals, Jesus' meals, is after Peter has blown it. Remember, Jesus is in the courtyard, and he runs away, and he denies Jesus, and he's feeling terrible, and Jesus goes and finds him. He's gone back to fishing because it's comfortable, and when he comes back for breakfast in the morning after fishing all night, what does Jesus do? Does he scold them? He gives them a meal, breakfast, a shared meal. Think about the givenness that is in that moment. You can tell somebody, I love you. Tell them I love you and give them something to eat at the same time and it will go straight to their heart, right? I think there's just a tenderness there. Peter, I forgive you. And that extending of food to him. And we can go on and on, but all points, I've already told you to Revelation 19. It all points to the meal. It all points to Jesus saying, I am inviting you to the feasting table of the Lord, a party that will never end. Every time I give you a foretaste of a good meal, it is because I'm just pointing to the one that is to come. It's an image. It's a shadow. It's a foretaste. It's a, literally, you can take the word taste, taste, foretaste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Foretaste and see that heaven and communion and fellowship with the Lord will be good. Taste and see that it is good. Uh, And again, it all points there. And so I think that if we look at Jesus and say he was on a campaign to teach us something about himself and about heaven, a foretaste, that we can take a page, as Christians, we can take a page out of his book and think of the meal as our missional point of help and hope, that we can reestablish The art, the great Christian art of hospitality and a shared meal. And that we can missionalize each and every meal with our kids, with our friends, whatever meal it is, and begin to think this is how you take food and put it on mission. Uh, We can take a page out of Jesus' book and think about each meal, even the preparation of it, as an act of saying something about who we are and who God is, an act of worship and fellowship and givenness and grace. And I think that if you begin to unpack it, you'll see how all of it is those things. Think about how worshipful it is to plan a meal, to get past yourself and to extend love to somebody else, to shop, to spend your own money. There might be nothing more worshipful. Like you think the most worshipful thing I can do is raise my hands in a worship song. I don't know. The most worshipful thing you might do is be to clean your sink, wash and prepare food on your own and to get it ready for somebody else. 
a great act of giving, self-giving worship. Your givenness. I think all those pieces of it, just appreciating that you have the resources and the ability to make food or the place to invite people, all of those can be a great act of worship for you. Um, I just think about how many meals could be worship instead they're prepared in bitterness. Oh, they got to eat again. I have found myself saying that about my children. You have to eat again? Didn't we just do this? I just finished cleaning up the last thing that I was feeding you in your face. <laughs> you know, like, how, if, if I could have just switched that to worship, right? The foretaste of heaven, an act of worship, loving my kids. It could be. Um, one of my favorite little books when I think about uh, cooking a meal as worship is a book called The Supper of the Lamb by Robert Capon. I have it if you want to see it later. Uh, but if you, are, if you like religious philosophy and cooking, small niche of people, I know, um, then you'll love this book. One of my favorite parts of it begins on page 10. And he's making you make a meal, and he makes you slow down and cut an onion for an hour. One hour. I know you're groaning. Read those 10 pages, and I think he'll make worship in your heart over the beauty of an onion. It's strength and fragility, this water-soaked, pungent, incredible. He just, the way he peels it apart makes you interact with each. He turns the cutting of an onion into worship. The thing that you thought was the hardest part of your cooking he turns into the greatest act of worship. And I think this is the switch turning on to see how each and everything in our life can become worship. That even prepping the meal, I don't know about you, but for me, eating is worship. Uh, Man, I'm like, tread gently into a shared meal with me if we're out in public, because I'm very what about Bob when it comes to eating. Now, there's a certain generation that will get that, but I'm very like, oh, come on. I smash the table a lot. When my wife's here, she'll be like, this is true. I'm like, what is this? This is fantastic. I, I, I don't know. It, it's like, it's how Tim feels when he climbs a mountain or Bob when he makes a spreadsheet or something. This is how I feel <laughs> when I am eating. Uh, uh, Ray Gilbride and I went out, we caught fresh crab, we cooked it on the dock and we ate it right there. And at sunset, we stood there and the whole marina must think we're bonkers because we're like, whoa. Like each bite, God is so good. Uh, Josh Prayer and I went to Pelmini Russian Dumplings. Who's been there? House of worship, friends. Wow. I just, for me, so I think you could praise the Lord with each and every bit of it. And then think, I will make my table a mission, just like Jesus did. Notice again, he used each opportunity to make his table a four. As I look around the room, I think about, I see all these people I've shared a meal with uh, already and how much that's meant already to like connect our lives together. And Jesus was always using it as a place of communal worship, as a place of givenness, as a place of grace, as a place of fellowship. I think the table can become a place of sacred mission when we will engage it that way. Think about the dining tables you've known that you've sat around with your kids. Think about the family meetings that you have had there and the confessions that you have received there and the grace that you have extended there and the pumpkins you've carved on that table and the cookies you've made and the laughter you've shared and the people you've had over. Think about how a thousand heart wounds are covered up with a good meal. 
parents think about the great opportunity. You know, my 19-year-old son, he'll hate it. He's not here now. But every year we set family goals. His number one thing is, can we have more meals together? You know why? There is scads of shit research. I mean, if you look it up, just wait for pages and pages of Google results. says, you want a good, healthy family? Eat meals together. Things happen at the shared table that don't happen anywhere else. If the kitchen is the heart of the table, the, or the kitchen is the heart of the home, the table is the altar, right? It's the place where the shared givenness comes about. And each one of us could engage that. But what I'd love to think about as a church is that Jesus didn't just eat with his friends, but boy, he was good at that. As he went out of his way to invite the outsider to the table. Or he went to the outsider's table. And I think of a church on mission. It has been said that the church has gotten pretty good at inviting people to a show, but lost the ability to invite people into their life. And that the table can be the place where we say to somebody, I invite you into life. And if Jesus is an example, a foretaste of heaven, it might be the least person that you would expect. See what kind of extended grace Jesus can open at a table that you open up. See where connections can be made. I thought to myself, how many arguments could be healed by a good meal instead of a strong debate? Just people who take some time together. Somebody who will give themselves to that moment, to another person, to share, to open up, to make that thing something we do together. I I thought I just wanted to say quickly to moms and dads again, man, can we make the meal missional. We have this short period of time to be involved in the lives of our kids I know I spend a lot of time lecturing my kids. I sure hope that I am sowing into their hearts and minds that your father and your mother are your provision. With love do we give to you? Do we feed you? Do we serve you? Do we do the dishes? Uh, We do these things because you matter to us and we love you. I hope that when you walk out of the house, every lecture about clean your room, it's in there somewhere. I hope every extended meal where I told you that I loved you And we sat together. That is what I hope you carry away with you. Those are things I hope that are stuck in your heart. All the greatest moments of my life, I don't know about you, are full of meals. When we moved to Boston, we were totally lonely. And then we found out Jen's Italian family lived there. You want to be in a killer meal? Find old Italian families that have not moved out of Boston. You will eat and know love and fellowship and connection. Um, Turn our place, our tables our kitchens into a place where shared worship, communal fellowship, pleasurable fellowship, givenness, give yourself that others might give in return and grace are extended. And I think, I think, I think, I think you will get to create tiny little paintings of heaven, little images, little foretastes of the one who makes the great meal and invites you to do the same. You know, when you think Jesus says, come on mission with me, I want to give you a fun part. Go make a meal that's on mission with Jesus. And so this week we send you out quite simply. Every week we've given you assignment. This week your assignment is easy. We want you to plan and prepare a meal, invite some people and eat it outside. And you might be like, oh, finally, outside's there. Okay, you're right. This is a stretch on outside. Why outside? Well, hopefully that's where your food comes from. And this will put you in touch with it. But when you can eat, when you eat, you can combine the former lessons. Remember what you did on walk, listen, and climb. 
When you're eating, listen to the wind in the treetops. Notice the grass that is growing underneath your feet. Take time to listen to the creator and creation. Take time to notice the people who are around you. Use that moment to sew all the lessons together and to share a meal. And then we hope that just being outside makes you close to the one who you are primarily worshiping. And we'd love to see this, what this looks like. What's it look like when you plan a great meal, invite good people, maybe some you know, maybe some you don't know, and share a meal outside close to the maker and to the things that where your food comes from. And we hope, we hope that you will create a foretaste of heaven in your own heart and for your neighbors, for the good of the kingdom and on a mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.